Like many business owners, when I first got started, I didn't have a clue about hiring. I just imitated what I saw other people do in interviews and the results were, well, mediocre at best. That was until about five years ago when I met today's guest, Ujus Balmax. He's been in a mastermind with me for quite some time. And in that time, he has completely revolutionized my approach to hiring. We now work with some fantastic people who I would deem A players. Ujus himself has helped build a high seven-figure authority site, and he now runs his own specialist recruitment agency, Recruiter Mill. They help online businesses to hire A players. So if you are currently hiring people or in the future you plan on hiring people, then you need to listen to today's episode. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, Ujus. How are you doing today? Thank you so much. Um, it's a pleasure to be on. Yeah, I'm doing well, but I think we need to start with a more important question, and that is, how's it going, Mark? Oh my God, I can't believe you did that. That is, I, so for anyone who's listening to the audio version, Ujus is actually sitting in Gail's office in his chair with the pink flamingo behind him, and I think it's all gone to his head because, yeah, he just asked me how is it going, and I don't have an answer other than kind of okay. How are you? You look super sunburned, by the way. I am, yeah. Last weekend I was out on a, uh, in a restaurant and it was outside and everyone who were on our side of the table got super burned. So I'm not normally this tan. I'm normally quite pale. So yeah, uh, that's, a, yeah. that's a, something new this week. I miss the, uh, the Eastern European sun in, in Budapest. We've, we've got our, our warmest day of the year here in Edinburgh, Scotland, and it's 20 degrees and everyone's going crazy because it's so hot. So yeah, not quite the same. But for those people who are listening to this who don't know who you are, which I think will be quite a lot of people, who are you and why should people listen to you about hiring? Yeah, absolutely. So I used to own an authority site. It was called iPhonePhotographySchool.com. And uh, yeah, we were commercially quite successful. Our revenue was in high seven figures. And uh, to get to that stage, we had to build up a team. And that was mainly my, my focus. And we went through a lot in hiring. Uh, I'll share some of the horror stories a little later on. But um, over the years, we really nailed down our process. And very roughly, my hiring teams have reviewed, I think, around 30,000 job applications. And they were for positions that were quite relevant for the people who are listening today. So it could be writers and editors, link builders, uh, content uploaders and website managers, uh, many other positions, of course. But I think I know quite well who uh, the listener is, is trying to hire. And I think I can give uh, quite good tips on that. And just to add on to that, most of what we know and indeed we teach in Authority Hacker Pro, especially in the, we have, we have a blueprint on uh, building your editorial team, like the structure of the process and the ideas came mostly from you, really, from our, our, our mastermind sessions together and various books and resources, which which you directly recommended. And I think uh, the the Who by Jeff Smart, I've, I've recommended it to about a dozen other people since then. So I'm eager to get stuck into this, uh, this episode and hear what you have to say. And I know a lot of uh, people out there will be too. Uh, so I want to start by asking you about Eastern Europe, because 10 years ago, when I first got into doing uh, online marketing and, and, and building websites, everyone was talking about hiring in the Philippines. But that talk and that dynamic seems to have shifted a lot more in the last two, three years to, to, towards Eastern Europe. What, why is it such a great location to hire from at the moment? 
Well, first of all, I'm from Eastern Europe. I'm from Latvia, and now I live in Hungary in Budapest. So not only have I have the hiring experience from from this region, but I also lived here my entire life, basically. And uh, yeah, very simply put, the advantage of Eastern Europe is value for money. So people from this region are close to what they can deliver, but their salary and income expectations are much lower than than for people maybe from uh, Western Europe. And uh, we're no longer kind of the stereotype from 20 years ago when we were kind of backwards countries recovering from communism. In professionalism, we're really close and, and we're catching up by the year to, to Western Europe. And uh, But still, because of the income difference, uh, you will get vastly different people who are willing to do the work for $1,000, for example. So someone who is willing to work for $1,000 in, in uh, Eastern Europe would be quite strong performer, or in many cases they would be. And someone who is willing to work for $1,000 in Western Europe is probably not not a very strong performer, let's put it that way. So, And that's a major, major point I wanted to, uh, to bring home today that, yeah, you can get a really, for the same amount of money, you can get a much higher caliber of, of people if, if you go for Eastern Europe. And really, uh, it's not only Eastern Europe, although it's a great place, but there are many other great regions that, that you could look at. But if you set up your hiring right, which which we'll talk about, these sort of candidates where they're willing to work for less than, than uh, equally skilled candidates from elsewhere, uh, those are the ones you'll be attracting if, if you do your hiring right. So that's why Eastern Europe is so great. And uh, the other major thing is English. Our English is on average quite good. So like our university textbooks are in English. All the good TV shows are in English. If if you're interested in basketball like I am, then all the podcasts and all the articles are in English. So just to have kind of a fulfilled life, you need to speak English really well if you're for a, from a small country. So and that's that's kind of the other side benefit to Eastern Europe as a region. One other thing I'd, I'd maybe add to that is like the cultural similarities. Uh, I tend to find it easier to to work with someone from from Eastern Europe. Like it's, it's kind of hard to de- de- describe, but I've noticed a, a lot with uh, Filipino staff in, in particular and other sort of East Asian countries as well. They can often be like unless you really work with them, they can they can often be like scared to maybe challenge you or tell you like the boss you're you're, you're wrong. Um, feels more, I don't know, egalitarian um, in, in this part of the world, at least. Do you, do you agree, or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, of course, we're we're talking in generality, so and we always want to be careful with that. But on the general, I would agree with you. And it is kind of there is something to being exposed to a similar way of thinking. Uh, that's just a lot of things in the background that you maybe wouldn't think about or you wouldn't think uh, someone would, someone else would uh, perceive differently. Sometimes you, you get that with a person from a very different culture. And the Eastern European and, and maybe the Western culture, uh, they're quite similar. So in that sense, yeah, it's definitely another benefit to, to hiring from this region. And I guess also the, the time zone as well. I mean, I'm speaking for someone from, from the UK. I mean, a one hour time difference, you know, you're working with someone throughout the, the whole day. Now that Sometimes an advantage, but I guess can also be a disadvantage if you need stuff done overnight while you're you're, you're asleep or, or whatever. So there's I guess that's factor in as well. Okay, so tell us about the hiring process. Like I, I guess when when you start thinking about a, a role you want to hire for, what are the first things you need to be thinking of before you even go posting a job ad or or anything like that? Right. So uh, first, I'd like to decide whether the role will be full-time, part-time, or freelance. And yeah, the way how to decide that is to think whether there's close to full-time work uh, to be done. And it should be the same type of work. So 
if there's some link building you want to uh, get done and then some website management and then maybe some customer support, uh, you can get quickly get into trouble where none of these uh, things get done well enough. So you want there to be uh, enough of work to, to hire someone full time. And uh, to me, full time is much preferable to part time or freelance. Most people, including uh, are myself, are not good at focusing and doing many different things or having many different projects at the same time. And if you have someone who has a different professional focus than, than your thing, your, your project, uh, they might just get kind of distracted. So definitely recommend uh, taking on someone uh, full time. And uh, yeah, of course, at the same time, it's a more expensive and a fixed cost. So you need to decide whether you're willing to take this commitment. And uh, part-time can sometimes be a good solution if it makes sense for you and the candidate. Maybe there's not as much work to be done. And, and it also may, that's the, actually the only thing that the candidate focuses on. So for example, now I'm employing a new mom who doesn't want to work full-time, but she's, she's a really good worker. So we've kind of come to an agreement that, that she works part-time. So in those cases, it can work. So that would be kind of the deciding whether it's full-time, part-time or freelance. That's where I'd start. And then, yeah, you, you kind of have to define the role and, and know who it is that, that you're going for and, and who you really want to hire. One thing I often struggle with in the, in the early stages is cost, uh, especially if it's a, a role which I've never hired someone for before. How do you go about understanding what it costs to hire someone maybe in a country or a region that you've never hired someone before for a role that you've never hired someone for before either? Yeah, I think it's helpful if I give very rough uh, pointers based on the role, and then we can talk about how to actually check it and, and make okay. sure for yourself. So for link builders, what I'd seen is it, it could start from around $800 and up to maybe $1,600 per month in, in full salary. Uh, and those those link builders are really on the premium end. So if you're paying someone that amount, you really should be getting your money's worth there. For writers, honestly, I don't know, and maybe uh, you can you can tell the audience better. But for editors, uh, it is possible to get someone really good at one to two thousand range, uh, but it might go all the way up to four thousand per month and possibly even higher. And yeah, and for content uploaders, I would I would have to check on that. But yeah, and how I I'd, I'd go about checking is uh, I'd pretty much go and see what other people are offering. So you'd go on, on job sites where. Uh, where people are hiring for these roles and, and I kind of see because many job ads include this information. And the other thing, the other approach, uh, how you could go about it is just to ask the candidates so you don't disclose the amount upfront and, and see what they expect and kind of think whether it's a reasonable deal or not. I do prefer to let people know in advance. So I'd myself rather check what is the appropriate amount and, and list it in the ad. And that way I can speak to the right kind of person and, and kind of identify that this role is really for them. But yeah, that could, that's a, another reasonable way to go about it. I think it just makes it like you get a lot more applicants in if you don't specify a salary because people are, I guess, expecting different ranges. So it makes it harder later on to have to filter through more applicants. At least that's what we found when we've, we've posted job ads for writers without specifying a, a word rate, for example. I would say that the, for hiring writers, we've never really made it work full time. I know some companies who definitely have, uh, but we've tended to to go for for freelance and, and and go for you know usual sites like ProBlogger or something like that. But you know it's it's really interesting what you say about the the, the you know sixteen hundred dollars for a top of the line link builder. I think a lot of people would say that's a pretty good good deal. Is is that the same kind of range for you know general support like a customer support person? What would you be 
be looking at for that? Yeah. So for customer support, I've seen people hiring for $500. Uh, and those are usually for the lower end, really inexperienced uh, customer uh, support agents. Usually, I think the starting salary is around $800 to $2,000. And I've seen it go all the way up to $2,000. And then, of course, if you want to employ someone who's a native English speaker, then you have to uh, pay pretty much Western salaries, which are much higher, of course. And in terms of quality that you're getting for, for this, like it is a $1,600 a month link builder. Is that as good as someone you, you know, you'd pay four or five K a month in, in the US for, or is there still going to be a bit of a skill gap there? It can be, it can be. And uh, all kind of this cost uh, game, it really depends on how patient you are. Cause if you wait long enough, you, uh, and as long as you're reasonable, you'll be able to find someone who's uh, willing to to work for the amount that you're offering and who has the skills that you expect. So uh, if you're willing to wait for some time, yes, you can attract that person. The other thing is that you want to be mindful of uh, the fact that the more willing you are to spend, the more access you have to hire and talent. So if you said, OK, I'm, I'm paying $10 million for this role, of course, a lot of people will be interested that otherwise wouldn't be. And just an extreme example to kind of illustrate the point. And then, of course, if, if you go to something uh, reasonable, the, the higher you go, the more people will be interested. That's that's pretty much the rule, uh, the rule. And then you can choose from the best people. So that's kind of how I approach it. And I guess one, one guideline here would be the more creative you want the role to be, the more you want to kind of open up the, the talent pool and, and have more candidates come in. Because uh, if the role is for someone who, who will strictly follow processes and, and kind of do something really well uh, documented and, and designed, the easier it is to, to find someone. And the stereotypical example here is McDonald's, who have really nailed down their processes and they can have someone come in and basically do the job without any skills and they provide all the training. Uh, whereas I'm personally not nearly as good at, at uh, defining processes. So I kind of have to pay more to, to get the results that I desire. So that's kind of the other rule that, that I'm going with. I know you've hired quite a lot of link builders um, in your time. And I know that's a, a, a skill or a, a resource which a lot of people listening to this show are, are going to be interested in, in learning about. How have you tended to split that role? Because um, on the one hand, you can have a lot of research and digging through Ahrefs building prospect lists, which to me is a kind of data-driven person. And then on the other hand, you have people crafting outreach messages and talking by email, negotiating, doing that side of it. Have you tended to hire people who do both or are, are stronger in one area? Yeah, so here I would be really careful because uh, these two areas of, of the job are, are quite different. And usually different type of people will be good at, at, at either role. So if you want even someone who can come up with their own strategies and, and kind of really think, OK, what are the things that can work here? So they, they have to be creative. They have to be energized by challenges and, and kind of willing to, to approach them and, and come up with creative solutions. At the same time, person who's crafting these emails and, and especially sending them out, there's a huge grind factor to, to the job. So then it's kind of the opposite personality. It's someone who's OK to do the same thing over and over again, and they don't get bored by that. But uh, many times they're, they're also not energized by challenges and, and they, they find it kind of hard and, and not something they want to do. So often I try to sp split the role or another way to approach it is if there's someone on your team who can come up with a strategy or consult with the strategy or kind of supervise the, uh, the, the process, then you can kind of have that part of the job taken care of by, by someone else. 
And then usually I bring in someone who does bulk of the work, who does the outreach and who's kind of, who's okay with the grind aspect and still is a really good writer and has all the other attributes that, that are necessary. But the kind of creative part, I usually uh, leave to someone else. Interesting. Okay. So let's say we've decided that we want to hire someone. What's the next step? We write a job ad. How, how do we go about doing that? So yeah, the first thing I do is define the role and, and see what I'm really looking for. And uh, what helps here is uh, creating a list of a few characteristics that you're really uh, looking for in, in the best candidate. And a great way to come up with that is uh, to think about the people on your team that you worked with in the past and what sort of characteristics they have and, and kind of list them and think about, okay, there was this person, it really worked out. I wonder why, and, and kind of list some of the qualities you really appreciate about them. Also, many people, uh, really kind of instructive exercises going through the people that didn't work out and, and understand why that didn't work. And then also seeing, okay, this is a no-go for me and, and uh, kind of uh, go through it in the, in the negative way. And once you have the kind of the characteristics that, that you're looking for, I would say kind of two first steps that go to hand in hand. One is writing the job ad, but even before that, I'd see what else is there. So what people are posting, uh, what kind of job ads and, and kind of learning from other people. Many times they won't do such a good job. Uh, but another thing I do for in the kind of research stage is Google things like, what do you like about being a link builder? Or what do you like about being in customer support? Or, what do you hate about it? And see kind of like, uh, get yourself in the shoes of the candidate that's, that you're looking to hire and what it is that's they like about their current job, not like about their current job, and kind of be able to speak to them. Because in the end, when you are writing the job ad, it's pretty much 100% marketing approach where it's a marketing funnel. So you're trying to get many people in, uh, filter through them and, and find the best candidate. So yeah, you would, to that copy, you would have a, a hook, you would make it super easy to skim. Uh, you would have some sort of social proof or uh, influence factors. So you'd mention how, the, how big the company or the site is, uh, have some employee testimonials or raving client feedback, whatever it is that you can, uh, you have to present yourself in a great light. And the other thing you want is to make the ad candidate centric. So it's not talking about what you care about and what it is that you're interested in, but what the candidate is interested in. And that's why you did the research and kind of understood what they're talking about. Because the general ad that, that you see in most job boards, they, there's six generic bullet points for what the role is about, six generic bullet points with your requirements and yeah, what, what, what we offer, and it's usually the same things like great benefits and, and huge growth. And uh, everyone else's ad looks the same. So if you're not uh, standing out, the candidate won't spend time on applying uh, to your job because there's no reason for them to do it. It takes effort. So if you're not giving them a reason to, to put in this effort, then they probably won't apply and you won't get this good candidate. So basically treat it like a marketing exercise. Absolutely, 100%. And that was the, the biggest shift that I had in hiring where I used to kind of not know how to approach it at all. And it was kind of like a hope approach. I was just hoping that someone would show up, maybe a friend of a friend or something like that. And over time, I realized I have to turn it into a marketing funnel where I'm speaking to the right person on a, as large of a scale as possible. And do you think that works in terms of getting more candidates to apply? Or is there something about that that's specifically attracting the, the A players to, to your job? It's both of those things. So you want the numbers to come in. And from what I've seen, it is largely a numbers game. So try to filter it through many applications and you take the best ones. But of course, you want to speak to the right kind of person. And if you show, okay, this job will actually be interesting, it will be a challenge and will be yeah, something that uh, is worth their time, basically, 
of course, the A player, the person that's that's really talented and, and capable, will want to uh, apply, and you'll signal that very clearly with your ad. Okay, awesome. So we, we've written our job ad. Where do we go to actually post that? Yeah, so there are a few sites that have been the most successful for me, and I'm happy to share them. So if I want to hire someone full-time, where I go is weworkremotely.com. And for me, it's been by far the, the biggest difference. So typically, if you've written a, a decent job ad, you can expect hundreds of candidates and sometimes even thousands of candidates, depending on what the role is. And suddenly, uh, if you don't have to choose from a few dozen of candidates, but you can choose from hundreds of candidates, you just make a, a much better final decision because you have that much more choice. So that's definitely my, my number one recommendation. If we're talking about uh, Eastern Europe, uh, jobrack.eu uh, is a classic place. Although, to be honest, I haven't seen that many candidates coming from it. So I usually go to WeWork remotely myself, but uh, Jobrack would be another another decent place to try. Is WeWork remotely a global site or is it, is it European-centric? Or It is global, so okay. you will get candidates from around the globe. But as I said, my approach is trying to get in the candidate that is that matches my requirements and that is willing to work at, at a rate that I'm also happy to pay. And I don't really care whether they're from Eastern Europe or anywhere else. Of course, I'll filter for, for all the things that I'm interested in, in, including the cultural aspects that you mentioned earlier. But yeah, I'm fine if, if they're not necessarily from Europe. So that's why that's why I like we work remotely. Okay. And then how do you start off that the application process? Do you have people send their resumes in or do you take a different approach? So yeah, once the candidate has seen the, the job ad and they're super fired up about applying, hopefully at least, you kind of present them with the application form. And what you want to do on the form is to give them very specific instructions. So they might be, stay structured, don't go off topic, be feel free to show off and, and like kind of put your best foot forward. And if they're not able to follow these instructions, what are the odds they will do a good job when, when they actually work for you? So they're really simple. So if they can't do that, uh, most likely they, they won't do a good job later on. So, and surprisingly, about 80% of people are just not able to follow these, these simple instructions. So, and you can kind of discard them. And the other things you see is uh, kind of maybe a little more su subtle. If, if they're not that structured or they don't speak very good English or, Kind of these uh, subtle little things that might show that that they won't be the best candidate. Feel free to reject them immediately because what I've done is actually gone back and looked at the applications of all the people I've ever hired. So what I saw is that the ones that worked out really well, they had perfect applications, nothing to to kind of complain about. And if you don't see that, you're you're you can feel quite fr uh, free to to reject them because. If they're not presenting the best version of themselves in this uh, application form, what are they really doing? So, uh, yeah, if they don't make this connection, they probably won't do a good job uh, later on. Do you have any sort of trick questions or, or interesting questions you, you like to put in there that really tell you something uh, about candidate? Uh, so a couple that I like to use is uh, one, uh, why are you applying for this role? And I kind of try to see if, if their motivations are, are reasonable and, and if it makes sense. And also if they put in the, at least a basic amount of effort into it, if it's just a one sentence uh, reply, then it's again, once again, pretty easy to discard. And the other one that, that I really like is um, I ask them to go back to the job ads and address each of the requirements that we have of them. Usually it's about five to eight and address each one and kind of explain why they're actually a good match for the role. So 
this does two things. One, it's kind of a, a loop they have to jump through and it shows that, okay, they actually took the effort and, and went back and checked what the requirements are. And the other one is that, um, yeah, they you give them an opportunity to sell you on the aspects that you really care about. So because of this reason, uh, it's why I include this uh, question in every single application form. And then I like to see their resumes. I like to ask them about the salary expectations, but those are kind of smaller questions that are just basically one line answer. What percentage of applicants are you discarding at, at this stage after you've looked through the, the application forms? Uh, usually it's 80 to 90%. Wow. Okay. So how many applications do you really need to be confident that you're going to hire someone for, for a role? So at this stage I'm at, I'd like to see at least a few hundred applications before wow. uh, I, I want to hire someone. And there have been extreme cases where the number of applications has been in the tens of thousands. But uh, the thing is, even if you go from, let's say, 10 applications to 50 applications, you're doing five times better already. So whatever you need to do to increase the number of applications, what I do, and this is how I start out. And yeah, I've been at it for, I think, six years now. But if someone is ju uh, just starting out, yeah, taking this first step is already huge for you because you just see that much more and you're that much more likely to find someone good uh, this way. Have you tried like uh, doing, you know, Facebook ads to your audience or doing anything on like LinkedIn or, or other other platforms to, to get more applicants? Yeah, so I always try uh, new stuff and, and try and see what works. So things I've seen reasonable success from is uh, Facebook groups. So there are a few from in Eastern Europe. So basically every major city has their own uh, Facebook group for jobs. and. In Budapest, I think there are five to seven uh, different groups. And I see that there are people who post there every single time and, the, and they get reasonable results. For me, the major job sites are just much less effort for a much bigger benefit. Of course, I have to pay for that. So if someone's sensitive about uh, the money that they're spending on ads, uh, that's a good consideration because uh, posts on Facebook groups are usually free. And this is a kind of a way how you can drive at least a larger number of applications than most job boards are, are able to give you. And then I have tried Facebook ads, honestly, never really worked for me because I don't think, so once again, you're taking the marketing approach and you're trying to approach people who are uh, looking for a job at this moment. No one else will, will really apply if, if they're not looking for a job, unless you can really speak to them, uh, they won't apply. And in most cases, that's, that's pretty unrealistic. So uh, you can kind of, I think for that reason, Facebook ads has, uh, have never worked for me. I've also tried uh, LinkedIn and uh, kind of local job boards in maybe Serbia or Ukraine. And there, I've never uh, seen much success from that either. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. It's, it's entirely possible. But from these kind of alternative ways, I think I can recommend Facebook groups the most. Yeah, a couple of interesting things I've heard is with a Facebook group, if you message the the owner of the group, uh, I know one guy who, who did this and basically paid them like 30 bucks or something. It's like, can you post this job ad and pin it at the top of the, the, the group and got like, I don't know how many it was, but like a lot more applications that way than just if you're one person posting posting in the group. And regarding like promoting either on Facebook or to your own audience, I think there are maybe certain roles which that, that can work. Like, for example, if we ever wanted to hire, let's say a community manager, then it'd be important to hire someone who, you know, was a member of our community, was in our, was a customer essentially. So I think in those situations it, it can work, but yeah, 
I've never really had too much success. And I know a lot of companies will email their, their list when they, they have a job, but I haven't seen that work out too many times. Um, have you done that before? Uh, so that I've, I've done that in the past, but we kind of limited that because what happens is we have hundreds of people applying who are our, our customers. And at most there will be one person that we hire. So we kind of piss off 99 uh, customers to, to get this one role. And depending on, on the customer lifetime value, I guess, you, you can make that calculation whether that's worth it. But it didn't feel right either way. So we kind of stopped doing that uh, after a while. Okay, so let's say we've got all our applications in and we filtered out 90% of them. What's, what's the next step? Yeah, so the next step you want to do is uh, test the candidate before you actually uh, speak to them and invite them to a short interview. And the reason for that is that a test job is by far the best predictor of how well they're, they're going to do on the job. So most people will will appear reasonable in a in a short interview, even if it takes 15 to 30 minutes. It is still time from you. It's a time you have to schedule and you won't learn that much in the in the screening interview compared to the test job. And the other thing about test jobs is that not only they don't require that much time investment from you, they're so much more telling. So or more people fail the test job uh, than, than tell, uh, fail the screening interview. So once again, if you're approaching this as a funnel, you want to eliminate more people before you kind of put in your own hours. And uh, that's a huge reason why, why we're doing testing first. So, I mean, what kind of tests do you typically run for people? Yeah, so uh, we give them a task that they're very likely to do day in and day out. So if it's a link builder, it would be writing outreach emails. If it's a just a, a regular writer, write a short article or a part of an article. If it's an editor, edit an existing article. So whatever it is that they'll actually be doing. And you want to make it as close as possible to the actual experience that, that they'll have on the job. So let's say they're a developer. Not only you want them to write a piece of code, but you want them to write a piece of code that will actually integrate into your system. So you want to kind of make sure that it's as close uh, to the actual job as possible because there are many kind of intricacies that you maybe wouldn't tell otherwise. So yeah, you, you want them to basically do what, what they'll be doing every day. How big of a task would you make that? I mean, are you going to ask people to spend a few hours or a day doing it or, or what, what kind of length of commitment are you looking at there? I think the sweet spot to between under, really understanding what the candidate is capable of and also not taking too much of their time. So because like, once again, it's a funnel and you lose people in the step. I think the sweet spot is about two to four hours that you can reasonably expect from them. Sometimes we go longer if it's a more kind of involved position, but uh, two to four hours seems to bring the best results. And, and do you pay for this, their time here or is it is it always free? Almost always it's, it's free because uh, we're not asking for that big of a commitment. Sometimes what we do is uh, do an initial test job, which is free. And then if we're still not sure or we'd like them to do basically more work for us, we start working with them on a freelance basis and we kind of see, okay, is, is this really working? And one position where this was kind of critical for us was the, uh, video editors, because from one video, you can only tell that much about, about their skills. So we wanted to edit at least a few videos on a, on a freelance basis to see what, what they're really capable of. And what are you like giving them? Are you making a video for how you do the, like what, what to do? Or are you just saying, Hey, you know, we're this site. We want to outreach to these sites, go away and do it. Like how much help or assistance or structure do you, do you give people? 
It depends, and it depends on kind of your expectations for the role. So in most cases, we give them as much information as possible because that simply increases the, the chances of, of them succeeding because you often have these kind of unspoken expectations that, that you don't really know that you have. And if you see a candidate doesn't match it, you think, okay, this candidate is no good because they don't realize this really important thing about the job. But if you put it down on paper first and you explicitly tell them, this is what I want you to do, then you can be much more certain that they were not able to fulfill your requirements. So I'd like to give them some context. Uh, in terms of format, it's usually a Google document where, where we provide the background of the task, kind of some of the SOPs that we have, if, if we have them, and what sort of deliverables we expect of them. Uh, and how long do you typically give people to, to complete the task? Like a week or? Yeah, so when a candidate applies, we usually offer uh, five business days to complete the, the task, which is a week. And we're kind of flexible, so if, if they're busy that week, uh, they can let us know and, and we'll extend the deadline. But we ask, that, we ask them to do that upfront because if they don't do it upfront, it's, it's kind of, uh, again, a tricky territory where you don't know that it's not something they do often that they miss deadlines. So we kinda, we're clear that we give you five days as default. If, if that doesn't work, let us know. Uh, so we're flexible in that sense. But once they've agreed on the deadline, uh, we're, we're kind of strict about it. And do you have like a process or a, a tool or a system in place to send all these messages out back and back and forth? Or is it all just in your, your Gmail inbox or how, how do you manage it? I know G, Gmail would be a nightmare, but uh, the best tool that I've seen kind of paradoxically is HelpScout. So that's a customer support tool and you can create workflows there. So you basically can respond to your applicants uh, with just a few clicks. And if you compare it to applicant tracking softwares, which there are hundreds of, none of them that I've seen actually have a smooth experience from the kind of, from the person who's doing the filtering and HelpScode is much more streamlined in that sense. So I kind of, uh, yeah, I use HelpScout in maybe not as original, uh, originally intended way, but it's working really well for us. And I know it's working really well for a few other people who are using a similar approach. And do you, for the people who don't pass a stage, do you send them, or especially the initial phase, the initial application, do you send them a rejection letter or do you just not reply to them? So for candidates who are just applying and they send in their application, uh, give them an email that says, unfortunately, you've, you've been declined for this position. And due to, uh, due to the large number of applications, we can give you individual feedback. But I still thank them and, and I try to make it kind of nice because it is, it's not a pleasant experience to, to be uh, rejected for a job. And then uh, when a candidate uh, sends in a test job, they've spent quite a sig significant amount uh, for us. And then I feel kind of obliged to give them at least feedback on, on their test job. So I provide the reasons why or what, what wasn't there that we expected. So at least hopefully they can improve and, and try and help them that way. Okay. Uh, so what percentage of people typically pass the test job phase? Yeah, it really depends on, on how you set it up and it depends on the role. But in the harshest cases, I think maybe around 10% would be uh, people that, that pass the test job. You can go even more harsh if, if you have super high expectations, but then of course expect that uh, it will take some time to find the right person. But if you're fine with that trade-off, that's that's perfectly reasonable approach. And then there are roles where, uh, yeah, you care more about the fit, maybe the personality fit. It could be a good example could be a, a personal assistant. So more people would, would pass the job and uh, you would like the output of more people that, that uh, send in the applications, but then you care more about the interviews and how, how your uh, personalities would mesh. 
So what's the next stage after after someone's done the, the, the test job? What do you do next? Yeah, so then uh, we proceed to a screening interview. But at this stage, uh, usually we're, we get pretty excited because uh, there are not that many people who, who pass the test job. And there are not that many people who kind of fail in the in the interview stage. Still, of course, we we uh, really evaluate them closely. But yeah, if, if someone's passed the test job, it's usually a really good indication uh, for them. And uh, we do a, a screening call where we kind of spend half an hour and, and try and realize, learn a little more about the uh, the person. And I ask, why are they applying? I ask about their career goals. So I uh, have a quick check of uh, that I have all the facts straight about their resume. I ask the names of their uh, supervisors. And uh, one other thing I ask is, uh, I kind of let them know that reference checks are coming on later in the process. And I ask them, so if we called your supervisor or when we call your supervisor on a scale of one to 10, how would they rate you? And this does two things. So. First of all, lets them know that reference checks are coming and they better not uh, make stuff up in the in the interview process. And the other thing it does, it's kind of uh, indicates if, if someone was a strong performer. So if if they say, yeah, I was uh, if they usually are rated nine to ten, that's kind of a good sign or a neutral sign. If they start saying, oh, they would rate me six out of ten or, or seven out of ten. And it happens many different uh, times in a row, then it's it starts to, to raise some flags. So that's the other thing it does. And uh, a, a big reason to ask on this uh, this stage already is uh, asking for reasons for leaving the jobs and any big breaks that they had in, on their resume, and kind of know their motivations and, and and why they left. And yeah, many times if when you're changing a job, if you're doing a really good job, your supervisors will want to keep you, and you also don't want someone who's just bounces around jobs. So that's why you you kind of uh, make sure that that everything kind of adds up and and makes sense there. But Overall, in, in the screening call, you're trying to get the general feel for the person. So, And here you can trust your gut, at least in a negative sense. So if you feel like, okay, this person is likely not going to work out, you can trust your gut in, in this sense. If you feel about uh, really positively about uh, someone in this uh, stage, I wouldn't get too excited because that this sort of gut feeling can can lead you astray, but uh, the negative gut gut feeling you can you can definitely trust here. And uh, the other thing you check kind of overall is kind of their motivation uh, to join alliance uh, with someone who's willing to stay for a long time with you. Um, you identify uh, potential questions to ask more about. So in the in the long interview that's coming up, and yeah, if if there are reasons for leaving a job where unclear, that could be an example of of a thing to ask more about in the in the long interview. And also, you want to make sure that their uh, sa- that the salary that you offer will make sense for them. So I, I usually ask point blank uh, what their salary was at the last job, and if it's much higher than what I'm offering, I don't see how how we're gonna we're gonna be a fit for the long term, uh, because if they're used to a higher salary, usually people don't downgrade uh, that much at least. So yeah, that's another thing I, I definitely want to make sure is is there. And is there any like uh, situations you can think of where people have said something or uh, not said something, and it's just kind of like completely discounted their application? You'd be like, okay, they've they've really warned us off them by by doing this in in the screening call. More so, to be honest, in in the long interview, but in this in the screening call, I, I'd have to think there was one person that was. Uh, I think he was kind of a loony, but uh, he was applying to be a developer, and he said that uh, yeah, he had a conflict with his uh, previous uh, job and his pre- previous company, and I kind of started asking more about what happened, and he ended up telling me that uh, yeah, at the end he put 
the entire code base of the company on GitHub. And uh, that was kind of the end of their conflict. So that's an extreme case of uh, when you don't want someone uh, to, to proceed with them. But I usually on the screening call, what, what I'd see is uh, if their salary doesn't align or their motivation doesn't align. So if someone says, yeah, I'm, I'm trying really to get into tech and, and I really want to be a developer, but this job will kind of hold me hold me over uh, while, while I'm looking for my, my passion. I let them find that opportunity elsewhere. I want someone for the long term. So kind of these these pretty obvious signs, to be honest, that, that they won't be a fit for the long term. Or would you say most people that you do a screening call with kind of pass or, or what, what percentage yeah, are dropping so. out here? I would, I would say so. In, in my mind, 80% of the people pass and proceed to the long interview. And in the long interview, what percentage of people pass that? That would be closer to maybe 50%. Okay. So let's talk about that then. Like, what's the difference between a screening call and a long interview? And why do you do both? Yeah, so the long interview really is long. Uh, so usually it takes about three hours. And that, that's a lot longer sound, than most interviews it people is. do. It certainly is. But there's a reason for it. So the first and kind of obvious reason is that you'll be spending hundreds of hours with this person. So it makes sense to spend some time up front and, and kind of to to get to know them before you make all this investment. And really from both sides, it also makes sense for them to really know that, uh, know more about you. And the other reason is that it's kind of impossible to fake a three hour interview. So the real you comes up in, in, in these three hours for, for better or for worse. And many times for, for the better, uh, to be honest. But you can really get to know the person that, that you're hiring. And it doesn't mean they have to be perfect. Everyone has flaws and those, those flaws come up. But at least you know those flaws in advance and you, you kind of know what to expect. So that's, that's kind of the idea. And of course, if we're doing a three-hour interview, we don't want to be doing it with everyone. So then uh, we do a screening call before that just to kind of limit the effort a little bit. But yeah, before at this stage, you're really serious about offering someone a job. So it makes sense to, to do this in kind of time investment. And um, what kind of questions are you are you asking for three hours in a, a long interview? So uh, what we do is we go through all the positions that they've had in the past and we ask the same few questions. And those questions might be, so how did you get this job? Uh, what did you like about it? What you didn't like about it? Who was your supervisor here? How would they rate your performance and how was it working with them? Why did you leave the job? There are a few more, but that's that's kind of the idea. And if, if you want to look at the full framework, it's called top grading. And if you Google top grading interview guide, I think you can find uh, the questions that you should be asking. But kind of in those uh, in those three uh, hours, you've, you'll find maybe five or six uh, major points or major turning points that that you really care about. So you're spending all this time to really get to these kind of takeaways or, or uh, meaningful moments in their life. And yeah, what they they might be. So what what you're looking for is whether they have a consistent track record of success. So someone's been successful before, that much more likely to be success, successful with you. You can learn what made them like or dislike a position and whether that aligns with what they'll be doing on the job. What made them leave, so whether they would experience something similar at your company, then, then maybe they're not the best fit, and what they consider a good boss and, and if you would match that. And by asking these questions, you kind of learn stuff about candidates and, and you learn it indirectly. So no one will ever say, yeah, I was, I was pretty awful at this job, but you can kind of learn from secondary answers or, or secondarily takeaways uh, and kind of thinking in your, in your head, if I was a supervisor, would I really react like this? And would it really happen this way? Or is the candidate kind of telling a weird story that doesn't really match the likely reality? Uh, so yeah, you can really learn about people this way. 
Do you ask any lateral thinking questions? Like I, I hear at Google and Microsoft, they ask, you know, how many golf balls can you fit inside a Boeing 747 or, or anything like that? Yeah, Google have uh, kind of went away from that because they uh, study hiring massively and they're coming up with the success factors. And one of the major ones is kind of the past success in, in a similar role that, that they found. So that's why I like test jobs so much. These kind of uh, brain twisters or whatever you'd call them, uh, they're not a great predictor for, for success. So that's why I don't ask them. Okay, interesting. And is there any questions which you always put in because you think like, oh, that's that's going to really tell me if a person is good at X or, you know, do, do you throw in like math questions or, or anything, anything unusual? I honestly, no, I, I don't think, once again, I'm always going for everything that's a great predictor of how well they'll do on a job. And these kind of questions, they they maybe could blow me away or could really impress me, but that's nothing to do with how well they'll, they'll do on a job. So I, I've kind of grown to, to dislike them or kind of seen them as irrelevant in the process. So I really don't go for them. One thing that's uh, where we sometimes do stray from the process is if the role is quite creative, so it could be, let's say, a manager for, for a division of, of, of a company, then we have a separate interview, which is kind of case interview for, uh, for the role. So we ask them, what would you do in this situation or how, you, how would you approach this problem? So more job-related uh, questions and then kind of see how, how they do there. But that's, that's about as far as I would go. And you mentioned earlier that you you always check references. I know that can be notoriously difficult, especially to get uh, an answer other than yes, that person worked here. I think a lot of companies seem to be paranoid about uh, getting in trouble with legal threats or whatever if they say anything remotely critical. How do you navigate that? So first of all, uh, the reason why the references are there is kind of a factor that that lets the applicant know they're version of the re- reality won't be the only version that that we'll be considering. So they're a little more careful about kind of embellishing maybe their their accomplishments or, or something like that. So that's that's one huge reason why we have them in the first place. But the other reason is that you can still learn uh, about the candidate. And it's honestly, it's rare when, so, uh, when someone says something negative, but you can learn about their strengths or weaknesses and you kind of know who you are taking on your team. And that's that's a huge reason why I liked, uh, still like doing the reference calls. And um, one other thing that's, that's kind of helpful with references is that we always ask the candidates to arrange them. So uh, it also sh- kind of shows their resourcefulness. So if they're not able to close this kind of deal or, or this process of, uh, of that we require them to do, they're likely not uh, to not be able to close different processes that are really important to get things moving in your company. So that's another kind of uh, small predictor there. But when I'm on the actual call, uh, so I kind of try and put them uh, or, or the references in as neutral shoes as possible. So they, I ask them to comp- uh, not necessarily where they good at this thing or bad at this thing. I ask them, how would you rate them uh, compared to other candidates? So then they have to say, or average, or above average, or below average. And they're, if you frame the question in this sort of way, uh, they're much uh, less likely to, to kind of be so careful that, that, that they say something bad. They, they're uh, more likely to give you an honest answer. And the other thing is uh, that I really uh, like to make sure uh, I get right is uh, I ask about them leaving. And I like to push a little bit there. So if they say, yeah. Uh, Something didn't work out, but I would I would take them back anytime. Uh, so 
why haven't you taken them back? Because uh, that's that's kind of a natural thing to do. So um, I want to make sure that they're not just giving me uh, an easy answer that that they know I'll like, uh, but something that that was that actually happened. Okay. And so when someone makes it through all these stages, is that you know you're hired? Congratulations, or, or is there, do you do like trials or anything like that? So uh, normally in the normal process, we do kind of a regular uh, three month trial. So uh, as you would Pro probation in any other period, probation period. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's kind of the typical case. There are cases when we like to do some more trial kind of jobs, and especially it's it's okay for roles where people are used to freelancing. So video editors is one major one that that comes to mind because most of video editors are freelancing anyway, and they're like, okay, I'll I'll do. Uh, I'll freelance with you kind of seriously and we give them extra projects and then once we see okay project after project it's it's working out then we're uh, kind of happy to take the person on full-time but for many other roles it's not that realistic because people currently have a job and they're looking for the next job so yeah i kind of go with yeah pretty much offering them the job on the after this uh, reference check stage and do you get many people sort of negotiating hard with you on the salary at this point, or have you kind of specified and ironed that out before in the, in the process? So yeah, by asking about the salary early on and what they think, their expectations, and also making it clear in a job ad. I can't think of a case when there's a major disagreement. I, there are people who try to negotiate at this stage, but to be honest, it's kind of hard to do from their perspective because we've put the, the salary there. So yeah, usually it kind of goes with with uh, what you've already kind of agreed on by agreed on by implication throughout the process. Do you specify a salary range or like a, just a one number? Range is, is much better in my experience because there are people who used to much lower salaries and they're perfectly happy to work at the lower part of the range. And that's what usually they write in their salary expectations. But then I also provide a max number to kind of not miss on any candidates that I'd be happy to take on and that but that would only accept the max number. So a range is the best solution I've seen here. Okay. So you've spent a number of years uh doing this both in your own businesses and now helping other people do it do it in their business. Back in your own business, what was the difference between hiring people like this and, you know, your previous process? What did your previous process look like before you did all this? Uh, yeah, the, the previous process was basically me going on an interview, not really knowing what I'm trying to achieve there and, and what's going on. And I was mimicking what I've seen other people do or what I thought should happen in job interviews or what happened when, when someone is interviewed. Where do you me. see yourself in five years? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, and that's, that obviously is not a, not a good approach. And I have some awful uh, experiences there. Uh, the most extreme one was a developer who actually stole from us. So he redirected our checkout to, to his PayPal and like kind of took part of our, our income. So yeah, that was that was awful. And by the way, uh, anything he did before that, so when he was working on the actual test, he, he did that at the end of the, his kind of tenure. Anything he worked on uh, before, he kind of pretty much broke anything he touched. And this was the only thing he was able to make work. So that's, <laughs> I think, the, the most awful example I had. But there was also kind of a more mild case when uh, we hired an editor who was in charge of explaining iPhone photography and our audience is older people and they're usually not that good with technology. And she wasn't that good with technology herself. And we kind of learned it pretty early on. And that was just something we, we hadn't thought about as, as important in the process. So. And it's at the end of the day, it's someone who can't really do the job. And 
maybe if 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 you're uh if you don't like confrontation you can pretend for a while that everything's going well but sooner or later you'll be uh confronted with the reality that's that they're just not good for the role on the on the flip side you can get people who love your job at their they love your company they're excited to be there and their excellent performance and uh at my previous company so we had an insane productive productivity per person so we were a team of 15 to 10, uh, 20 people depending on the stage we were at and yeah we had high seven figures in revenue that's really really good so if you really take care of your hiring process that's the kind of results you can get Awesome. And uh, we mentioned the book Who by Jeff Smart. Is, is there any other resources out there that you you recommend uh, on, on this process? Yeah, Who is like my Bible for hiring. That's that's where I base my pretty much entire process from. So if, if you like the process, you want to implement it yourself, uh, start there. The other one that I hadn't even realized until I reread the book that was really impactful on, on my hiring process was Ready, Fire, Aim. And it's a book that's great for kind of general business building, but the hiring section was kind of short, but really impactful. I, I realized now that I reread it a few months ago, that the way he describes the hiring process is exactly how I do it now. And I think it might've been where, where I even got the idea from uh, without realizing it. So that's a cool little section to check out. I've heard that one's good as well. I haven't read it myself. I'll it's a great pick, book. Pick yeah, for, yeah. Cool. Is there anything else about the about your hiring funnel which I haven't asked you, which I should have asked you? Okay. So yeah, one thing that's that I wanted to mention and, and that's that we haven't really digged into is hiring remotely in the first place. And that's uh, was something that I didn't realize I need to be doing for a long time. So as I mentioned, originally I come from Lafayette, uh, my town or city is Riga. It's about six hundred thousand people, and what happened was that I wrote a great job ad for that was for a developer position and I had exactly three people applying over two weeks. And that made me realize, okay, this is not going to be good enough. And also made me realize that, wait a second, I can go for 600,000 people that are in, in my job market or I can go for basically the 8 billion people that, that are there around the world. And the difference is just so, so massive. And as soon as, of course, as soon as we posted the, the job ad on uh, We Work Remotely, we got hundreds of candidates and we found some really, really great ones. So yeah, if, if you're kind of thinking about, should I hire locally? Should I hire maybe even in my country? Or should I go, go globally? I would always recommend going globally just because of the, the scale you're able to, to reach that way. Okay, awesome. So your website is Recruiter Mill for anyone who's interested in, in checking out what you do. But I thought it was really interesting because when I was over in Budapest a few weeks ago, I was talking to Jason, who's an Authority Hack Pro member and runs a, an agency as well. And you basically hired all of his staff for him. Like, Can you tell us exactly like how that worked and, and how other people can take advantage of this service as well? Yeah, absolutely. So when Jason and I started working on hiring, I didn't even have the agency at the time, but I was kind of consulting him because of the many things I've, I've done in the space. And uh, yeah, he was in kind of a weird position where his marketing for his agency worked so well that he couldn't uh, service all the clients that, that were willing to work for him. So he basically could get the clients, he couldn't uh, get the people that would uh, do the job done and, and he'd be able to charge the clients. So that's why hiring was a huge, huge pain point for him. And also just the results that he was seeing. He wasn't able to find good people or many times the people he ended up hiring didn't work out and it was kind of a headache for him. So initially I just started consulting him and uh, 
he improved and, and he got much better candidates. And over time, of course, as, as he progressed, he had some questions about the interviews or, or the, the process. And at one point I said, maybe I'll do an interview for you and, and we see how it goes because he had some specific uh, questions about the interview. And after the interview, uh, he was like, yeah, this was this was really, really good, but I just don't have the bandwidth for it. It's not my skill set. I just wish there was someone like you that could do it for me. And that was kind of the light bulb moment for me uh, to, to start an agency and start working in this space uh, quite seriously. And uh, yeah, since then we've hired five link builders for him. And that is for his relatively small team of uh, now around 10 people, that has been a huge change because if he has double the workforce, he can get twice as many customers pretty much. So that has been huge for him and his profit has shot uh, through the roof. And he also has a much more engaged uh, team now and there's also much less on Jason's plate. So he likes to say that uh, working with Recruiter Mel and, and my team was the biggest win for him in, in 2020. And uh, that was super nice to hear. Well, how's that for a soundbite right there? I love it. I was going to say though, does he literally come to you and be like, Ujis, I need a link builder. And then you do everything and you're like, here is your link builder or like, what are you, what are you giving? Are you, does he make the final selection? How, how does that work? So it depends on, on the client that I'm working with. And uh, Jason actually likes to be quite involved. Uh, so he looks at the candidates and he gives his insight and he likes to be present at, at some of the interviews and uh, so he can represent the company as well. I have other clients who pretty much work the way uh, that's, that you described. We have a short on onboarding call where I learn everything that's, that I need to know about the position and, and to do it well. And since I've kind of hired many similar positions in the past, I kind of get it and it's, it's kind of easy to, to understand what it is that they're going for. And then I present the good candidates to, to those people. Uh, so it depends on how involved the business owner or the decision maker want to be. And, and we're open to work both ways. But many people are happy to, to hand everything to us. And even Jason is kind of now being involved less and less because, uh, yeah, he, he kind of trusts what's, what we're doing and uh, he likes to focus on other things. So if anyone's listening to this show and thinks, oh, I'd love to do all that, but I don't have time, they should just email you or get in touch with, with you on your, on your website. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so you can go to recruitermill.com and our focus is uh, online businesses and digital agencies. So that's kind of the space that I'm coming from and that I know really well. And hiring online marketers is, is something I've done time and time again and something I can definitely help people with. So if you want help with your authority sites team or maybe your agency's team, yeah, go to recruitermill.com, uh, write me an email and uh, we'll see how my team can be helpful. And what I normally do is uh, we get on a quick call. I give you a free strategy for, for your business and then you can decide whether you want to implement it yourself. And that's perfectly fine. Or you want me to, to help you with the implementation. So that's, that's pretty much the model. Awesome. So if anyone out there is uh, in need of a link builder or five, um, head on over to recruitermill.com and give Ujis a, a shout. He'll, he'll help you out. Okay. Uh, anything else you want to cover? I don't think so. Is, is there anything? No, I think we're good. That's been been a long one. It's like 84 degrees Fahrenheit in my room night right now because it's super hot outside. I have to close the windows so all the noise doesn't come in. So I think we'll finish it there. But uh, Ujis, thanks very much for, for coming on. It was uh, fascinating to learn how you do this in such intricate detail. I'm sure people uh, will will get a lot from, from, from this show. Awesome. Thanks so much, Mark. Great. So if you guys enjoyed this episode and you want to hear about more about this kind of topics, then be sure to leave us a, a comment, drop us a like, 
subscribe to the show. I know 50% of people watching this on YouTube are not subscribed, so hit that subscribe button, that bell, all the good stuff. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. So until then, see you later. Mm-hmm.